the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI. Oh my word. Ed Kirkwood. Again, another great morning. He's been doing some pretty high profile interviews lately. I don't know if you heard his interview yesterday with FKA Twigs or his interview with St. Vincent. Two babes, one day, lots of talent. And he absolutely killed those interviews. So... Good work, Ed. And uh, another person who's killing it is on your show today, not me, Anwen Crawford. Anwen Crawford is the music critic for The Monthly. She's nailed articles on everything from Nick Drake to Justin Timberlake. And Anwen has just published a book about one of her great loves, which turns out to be one of many people's great hates, Courtney Love. Uh, the book is called Live Through This, after the album by Courtney's band Hole. In it, Anwen asks the question... Why, if this album changed so many lives, are Courtney Love's achievements as a songwriter and musician not taken seriously two decades on? Welcome, Anwen Crawford. Thank you. Thanks, Ash, for having me. Um, so I was kind of ambivalent, ambivalent about Courtney Love at first, and I didn't really know Hole very well. I think I kind of missed out on that generation just a little bit. I was, I was probably too small. But after reading the book, I can safely say I actually do care and I do see how Courtney Love is, is relevant the songs on, t- on the show today. You've got eight tracks and no Courtney inside. Uh, I know, no hole. Well, I think it just came down to the fact that it was A, too hard to pick a whole track out of all the whole tracks I love and B, there are too many tracks I love in general, but I am quite capable of bringing Courtney into basically any conversation that I have. So I'm sure we will find ways to talk <laughs> about Courtney. So we didn't need an excuse. No, we don't. Oh, uh, wonders. <laughs> okay, well, our first track is from Culture Club. And what, what does Culture Club mean to you? Culture Club mean everything to me. <laughs> um, Culture Club and Cindy Lauper are pretty much the first artists that I remember. Um, and the track we're going to hear, Church of the Poison Mind, came out when I was two years old. And it's pretty much the first song I remember. And my parents bought me a seven inch of this song and I still have the seven inch. It's one of my oldest possessions and I still adore this song.
FBI. we have much Motown on FBI. Well, I'm glad to provide for you because Motown is one of my great loves, as you can (laughs) probably tell from the first two tracks, because the Culture Club track is very much a kind of Motown rewrite, um, an early 1980s version of Motown. And the track we just heard, Carolyn Crawford, is an actual Motown track, although a less well-known one. And so, I mean, I, I know you have a big crush on Boy George and, mm. and a Boy George shirt to boot. I do. Your only band shirt. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Boy George, Culture Club, that's pretty much my only band t-shirt. Um, these days, I was, I was more into band t-shirts as a teenager. You know, I had my Nirvana shirt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but... no, matter, no matter how little you wear those shirts, though, it's hard to part with them. 
Mm, I've not got, really. <laughs> got some really heinous shirts at home, just that I'll never wear. But because you know, there's an emotional tie there. Mm, I think I'm fairly ruthless and unsentimental <laughs> about these things. You just know, burns them all. <laughs> so you're you're a bit of a Motown devotee, I and am. can you tell us a bit about Carolyn Crawford? Because I don't know anything about Carolyn Crawford. She sounded quite young in that song. Very, yeah, very young. Um, so that that track was one. It's called um, "My Smile Is Just a Frown Turned Upside Down." And it was one of only three tracks that she recorded for Motown. It came out in 1964. And she was, I believe, only 14 years old when she recorded the vocal for that song, which I think wow. is amazing because she doesn't sound 14. Um, I think she won a radio competition in Detroit and the, the prize was Record with Motown, who at that point was still a fairly new up-and-coming label. And she won the competition, but... She only recorded three tracks for Motown and none of them were hits, so she got dropped. Um, but I heard that song a few years ago in a great film um, called uh, Life Life is a Dream or something like that. I might have the title wrong. Um, Dreams of a Life, in fact. Dreams of a Life, it's called, um, by the British director Carolyn Morley, which is a great film worth checking out. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, what is this song? You know, even though I love Motown, I'd never heard this song before. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. A bit of a sad story, though. I find that's awful. I mean, imagine yeah. being 14 year old, years old thinking, oh, I've made my big break. And then exactly. you just get dropped. Exactly. And getting dropped. Getting yeah. dropped. But she had a bit of a renaissance a few years later um, on the British uh, northern soul scene, which is also something that Culture Club uh, drew upon. So even though she never really made it in the States, her songs got taken up mm. by... Um, by DJs in Britain who would kind of play these clubs in the 60s in the north of Britain, hence the name Northern Soul. So what is Northern Soul like? I, I don't think I'm familiar with it at all. So, it, I mean, it, it, it was, I guess you could call it one of the early dance music scenes. Um, it was based around DJs in the north of England in cities like Liverpool and Wigan and places like that. And they were kind of obsessed with the sounds of black American soul music that were happening in the early 60s like Motown, but also there were a whole lot of kind of labels around Motown and kind of imitating Motown. And, and so they were kind of the original crate diggers. They would go over to the States or, of course, get records from the States because there were kind of U.S. Army bases in a lot of these cities. So American soldiers would be bringing this music in. <laughs> Making some extra dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and the thing I love about Northern Soul is that um, apart from the fact that the music's great, they kind of the kind of the rule of Northern Soul was to find all the stuff that was most obscure and to kind of find the stuff that wasn't wasn't famous in the United States and that hadn't been hit. So as I say, they really were the original crate diggers because they kind of went for all the obscure Motown songs and obscure 60s soul songs that never um, that were never hits in America and okay. made them made them these kind of cult hits over the other side of the Atlantic. So often American soul singers who had kind of disappeared into obscurity like Carolyn Crawford, like Carolyn Crawford yeah. would kind of discover a few years later that they were being worshipped over the other side of <laughs> the Atlantic. That would be so bizarre. Yeah. Just, you know, it's like decided to take up a job as a typist. Yeah. Um, one day you find out that you're huge in the UK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I love, I love, I love Northern Seoul. 
All right. Another love of yours is the Paradise Motel, who's a band that I hadn't heard of, but they're Australian. So they are. When, when are they when were they around? Um, so they were most active from the kind of mid to late 90s, uh, the Paradise Motel. They had a couple of albums, and the song that we're going to hear is from their second album. And in fact, they reformed a couple of years ago and put out a great record, record called Australian Ghost Story. Um, but this song, Aeroplanes, is from an album they put out in 1998 called Flight Paths. And I would have been in my final year of high school when this song came out. Mm-hmm. And I really love the Paradise Motel. Um, they were a Melbourne-based band and they sounded quite different from a lot of the other stuff that was around at the time. Um, they used things... Well, it was grungy times, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There was a lot of kind of grungy stuff happening still in the late 90s in Australian music and... They didn't sound like that at all. They're quite spooky and atmospheric. They've got this great vocalist, Merida Sussex, who I love. She reminds me of Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees. Um, they used samples and electronics and Hammond organ and all this kind of atmospheric stuff. And yeah, I think I think they're a really terrific band. On FBI 94.5, my guest today on Out of the Box is Anwen Crawford. She's a writer for The Monthly. And here you go. It's Aeroplanes by the Paradise Motel. <laughs> Yeah. 
wonder if Arnold Crawford ever thought that young teenage goth her would play that song on the radio. I probably would have been very pleased to know that 15 and 20 years later I would be playing that song. <laughs> you know, the, 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 goth, the goth part of me, um, that's, still, that's, that's still a little flame burning inside. <laughs> so the goth part of you right now is happy, but can you really say that? Because are you allowed to be happy? If yeah, you're about no. something, if you're goth. Pro- no, probably not. Probably Quiet- not. <laughs> Quietly and seriously pleased. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. A kind of wry smile or something like that. Yeah. yeah you know, um, yeah, there's, 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 there's certainly something very gothic about the Paradise Motel. I think yeah. it was all over their, all over their records. Um, you know, yeah. And I still, I still, as I mentioned before, um, they remind me a bit of Susie and the Banshees, who I, who mm. I love. And you know, I always loved bands like The Cure and Joy Division and those kind of bands, which proper goths don't like because proper goths say that's too snobby. But they were actually, <laughs> you know, that too poppy, sorry. Proper goths are kind of snobby about bands like The Cure. Yeah. But I like pop music too much to have really have been a particularly good goth. So <laughs> Yeah, I, and I definitely think that, you know, like within kind of gothic stream of music, that was my first my first experience of music snobbery. Mm. I didn't realise that, you know, symphonic metal was superior to another type of metal that also had violins in it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, very innocently just kind of trying to dress in more black. Yeah. And, you know, I found, I remember finding little um, little chains around the house and, 
and safety pins from mum's quilting cupboard and being like, okay, how can I incorporate this into my outfit? Because now I'm apparently a goth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm I'm a big believer in raiding the sewing basket for safety pins, although I think I'm probably getting a bit old for that now. Um, But I'm still a devotee of eyeliner. You know, that little little goth part of me will always burn strong. Will never die. (laughs) So so you were saying that um, with Paradise Motel, you were listening to the album Flight Paths a lot. Your, Mm. Your dad lived around Tempe. Yeah, yeah, he always lived under the flight path. Yeah, my dad always lived in flats around Tempe and Marrickville and Stanmore and places like that. So, so I always thought that that song, even though the Paradise Motel were from Melbourne, I always associate that song with Sydney and with um, being stuck under the flight path and hearing the aeroplanes go over all night long. Some nights I want to shoot them down. I love that lyric, you know. <laughs> They'd probably get into a lot of trouble if they recorded that today, actually, be hauled in by Tony Abbott and his um, anti-terrorist yep. watchdog. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Probably that's why they're not together anymore. They're probably <laughs> in hiding. What about that one lyric? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we've got one uh, more song. to Actually, no. You, you mentioned before that Paradise Motel... Mm had an album that they they reformed for more recently. They did, yeah. A couple of years ago, they put out a record called Australian Ghost Story, which was kind of a concept album about the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain, which is the famous case that happened in the early 80s where she was taken by a dingo. Mm. Um, and that was a really terrific album. I'm really glad they got back together and did that record. It's you such know. an interesting thing to make a, an a concept album about. Album about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean, that's a story I remember very vividly from my childhood. I'm old enough to remember the the kind of whole um, media circus around that around yeah. that case. Especially because yeah. that would have happened quite a while before they made that album. Oh, so yeah, a long time. But it's, it's kind yeah. of gone down as one of those um, one of those kind of uh, iconic, in a sense, yeah. uh, Australian stories. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. So what, yeah. kind, what kind of – did you actually listen to it? What kind of lyrical things are they talking about? Like how much can you spin out a story into music about the disappearance of a child? Um, oh, I think you can do it by being thematic rather than literal. Okay. Know. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think it's just kind of really rich material to to draw upon. It's that kind of um, that fear that people have of the Australian landscape and that sense that maybe there's something wrong with it and something spooky and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I, there's a lot you can do with that kind of material. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So let's whack on a track by Rand and Holland in a second called "The War." Do you want to tell us why you wanted to bring this one on? Oh, look, I mean, again, I think Rand and Holland are just a, a really terrific local band, a great Sydney band. Um, and they're a band who I used to see play a lot, you know, a lot, a lot. I, I Whenever they played in Sydney, I would go and see them. And this was at a time when I was kind of writing a lot for the street press and um, for Mess and Noise, which some listeners may know as a website, but way back in the day, kind of 10 years ago, I'm talking now, it was a print magazine, an actual print magazine, which I... That's so cool. Yeah, which I wrote (laughs) for it. It didn't last long, um, only about 18 months, but... They're going strong now. Yeah, but I wrote for it then and... Randon Holland were a band I wrote about for that magazine. And um, yeah, I really I really associate this track with a kind of particular time in my 20s where I was seeing a lot of shows and writing a lot about music. And um, I just think they're an incredible band. And 
again, I mean, one of the reasons I love this track is that it actually does remind me of the Paradise Motel. It's got a similar atmosphere. It's a bit spooky. It's got the Hammond organ in it. Um, yeah, I think I think they're a terrific band, and I hope I hope that there's another Randon Holland album eventually. This is from their second album called Caravans, which came out in two thousand and seven. All right, the War, brought in by my guest today, Anwen Crawford, and out of the box, it's an FBI.
on FBI 94.5. You're hearing some Rand and Holland. The War, which is a track that came out in 2007, brought in by my guest today, Anwen Crawford. And uh, when you were when you were kind of bailing for New York, you had a, a scholarship. Yes. You saw Rand and Holland one last time. What, what went on there? I did, yes. Well, as I say, they're a band that I saw around a lot at the time in the mid-2000s in Sydney, and I wrote about them and... Um, you know, I got to know the members of the band. So um, in mid-2008, I left Sydney um, to move to New York and do my master's degree. And uh, Brett Thompson from Randon Holland very kindly threw me a farewell party at which Randon Holland played. Uh, that is so nice. It was very nice. It was very sweet. Very, very sweet gesture. And they were one of your favourite bands. They were one of my favourite bands. That's kind of cool. It is. Yeah, it was very <laughs> You're nice. You're making out like it's not a huge deal. I think that's amazing. <laughs> no, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. So, yeah, I have a very vivid memory of the week or so just before I left Sydney with this lovely little um, venue in St. Peter's, again, under the flight path. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lovely little room in the middle of winter and there was maybe 60 or 70 people there and Randon Holland played uh, and they played that song of course and there's a line in that song about things will never be the same again and on that night it really really resonated with me because I thought well things never you know things will never be the same again because I was just about to move to the other side of the world which I then did <laughs> and so the other side of the world mm. New York New York yes New York New York yes well that's a bit of a big deal. <laughs> and you had a scholarship to go. How does, how does that even work out? So you'd been doing music writing. Yes, you, yes. You weren't going for music writing reasons. No, right? no, no. I mean, I did my undergraduate degree in visual arts yeah. um, at the University of Sydney. And then I kind of, you know, spent a few years scratching my head and wondering what I was going to do. Uh, and yes, and then, then I won uh, this massive scholarship um, to go and study at Columbia University in New York um, and that was also technically to study fine arts but my concentration was in writing rather than in visual art but in poetry actually not in music writing or even in non-fiction. I didn't know you were a poet. Yes yes I have I'm kind of an ex-poet these days but I did I did in fact um, study poetry for my master's degree and wrote an entire manuscript as was required for my thesis which will never see the light of day but nevertheless <laughs> oh come on surely it'll come out at some point you'll, you'll do a harper lee it'll, no. it'll be like 55 years in the interim and then suddenly there you go no i destroyed it so that what? no so You're that kidding. no no so so no unscrupulous publisher aka harper lee and harper collins can come along and <laughs> publish it without my permission no wow. it's gone but that's okay. Why did Why did you want to, you know, basically burn this man? Was it, was it on fire? Did you burn the manuscript? I wish I could have burnt it. That would have been more cathartic. But in the days of kind of hard drives and, ah, yes. you know, it, it's it's not quite the same to kind of drag something over to the bin and press delete. It doesn't have the same catharsis as burning something on a yeah. bonfire. I think you need to print it out, burn it yes. while you drag it into the little trash I should bin have done and, that. and turn up the sound on the little... <laughs> yeah. That's what I should have done, I think. So, yeah. With with your manuscript, I mean, yes. it's it's now not extant, so you don't mm. need to necessarily tell us too much. Mm. But what what was it like? What was your poetry like? Was it a, a huge thousands of words kind of work? Was uh, it what were the themes that you were? Looking oh God, at? that's I, a lot of questions. Yeah, I'm sorry. no, no, <laughs> I'm, and I'm not sure whether I can answer them. But I can say that being in New York itself was a pretty amazing thing. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's a really amazing city and um yeah 
you know. And you were there for three years. And I was there for three yeah. years, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, being a writer, a fledgling writer in New York, you're pretty much in the perfect place. Was it easy this to make true. kind of, you know, writerly friends and go to writerly events and all of those things? Well, yes, but I guess because that's what I was studying um, and I was surrounded by those people every day. I, I was definitely in the writer's bubble in New York. I think if I was to go there now um, and just kind of be there on my own, I'm, I'm, I mean, New York's amazing, but um, but it's also it's also difficult. It's huge. I mean, the population of New York is the population of Australia. So mm. you do feel like a very small fish in a very, 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 very big pond when you're over there. Um, but it's nevertheless a really amazing place. There's so much energy there. There's so much going on all the time. Um, yeah, it's I'm, I'm really I'm really fortunate that I had the opportunity mm. to go there. Some of the things I wonder about New York, do, do you reckon... I think people respond differently, but does the shock of perspective, the shock of how many people there are, not only in the world, but in New York, being surrounded by that kind of hive of minds, does the shock of perspective make you more creative or less willing to create? Um, I think it can probably be both. Um, I think for a lot of people it's the former, that, it, you know, you do find it really stimulating and because there's so much going on and you feel like you will be able to find an audience for whatever you're doing, people are really driven by that and really excited by it. And so there is that great energy. At the same time, sometimes it can feel like it's just too much. The city's too much. It's overwhelming and you just want to kind of hide away from it. So I think I think it can do both for people, but mainly, mainly the former. I think the energy of it is obviously what attracts people to it and why people will keep going to a place like that because there's just always so much happening. Yeah. So you lived in a, oh, not in a bar, above a bar. When you, <laughs> I did not live in a bar. No, what a time in your life. <laughs> uh, no, for a time. I mean, I lived in a few different apartments in New York, um, and really, everywhere you live in New York is to is to a greater or lesser degree very busy and very noisy and very proximal to a bar and very proximal <laughs> to a bar. That's right. Yes, uh, but I did spend about uh, twelve months living uh, on a busy street in Brooklyn above a bar, and uh, while I was living there, I kind of I came to really enjoy. Um, I came to really enjoy a certain experience of listening to music, which was that while I sat at my desk writing my work, studying for my degree, I would often hear the kind of traffic passing outside and I would hear people walking by. And I became really interested in the kind of music that was blaring out of people's car stereos or out of their boom boxes or whatever, you know, because New Yorkers use public space, they really embrace it. You have to embrace it because if you just cooped up in your apartment all the time, you go crazy. So people really use public space there. Um, and I, I kind of came to realize that if I heard a particular track more than a few times a day, that it was going to be a big hit or it already was a big hit. So one of the songs that I associate most with my time in New York is Run This Town by Jay-Z and Kanye and Rihanna. This song came out in 2009 in the middle of summer in New York and it was a really brutally hot summer. In fact, I think it was the hottest summer on record. But everybody played this song. You couldn't go kind of five feet without hearing it and it was just a massive kind of anthem for the city. So this is this is a New York song to me. Feel it coming in the air yeah. And the screams from everywhere yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill it's a dangerous love affair Can't be scared when it goes down Got a problem, tell me now Only thing that's on my mind 
said it we are. This is Rock Nation. Pledge your allegiance. Get your boutiques on. All black, everything. Black cards, black cars, all black, everything. And our girls are black first. Riding with they diligence. I can't more in depth if you boys really rhythm enough. This is La Familia. I'll explain later. But for now, let me get back to this paper. I'm a couple bands down and I'm trying to get back. I gave Doug a grip. I lost a flip for five stacks. Yeah, I'm talking five comma six zero shot zero zero up Back to running circles round niggas now we squared up Hold up Life's a game but it's not fair I break the rules so I don't care uh-huh. So I keep doing my own thing Walk and call against the rain Victories within the mile Almost there don't give a shout I'm in Mason, uh, Martin, Marcella on the table screaming, fuck the other side, they jealous. We got a banquet full of bras, they got a table full of fellas. Yeah. And they ain't spending no cake, they should throw their hand in, cause they ain't got no space. Yeah. My whole team got dough, so my banquet is looking like millionaires, bro. From being Joe Blow to everybody on your dick, no homo. I bought my whole family whips, no vovos. Next time I'm in church, please, no photos. Police escorts, everybody passports. This the life that everybody asked for. This a fast life, we are on a crash course. What you think I rap for? To push a fucking rap for? But I know that if I stay stunting, all these girls only gon' want one thing. I could spend my whole life goodwill hunting. Only good gon' come is it's good when I'm coming. She got an ass that'll swallow up a G-string. And up top, um, two B-stings. And I'm B-sting off the re-sling. And my nigga just made it out the precinct. We give a damn about the drama that you do bring. I'm just trying to change the color on your mood ring. Reebok, baby, you need to try some new things. Have you ever had shoes without shoestrings? What's that, yay? Baby, these heels. Is that a made what? Baby, these wheels. You tripping when you ain't sipping. Have a refill. You feeling like you running, huh? Now you know how we feel. On FBI. Yo, B. They ready. 
Let's go. Feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling my feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling my feeling my feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling my feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling my. I want some hood girls looking back at it and a good girl in my tax bracket. Got a black card and let sex have it. These Chanel bags is a bad habit. I do balls down Mavericks. My made back black Madden. Bitch never left but I'm back at it and I'm feeling myself Jack Rabbit. Feeling myself back off 'cause I'm feeling myself Jack off. Can you think? about me when he wax off wax on wax off. national anthem hats off then i curb that nigga like a bad horse let me get a number two with some max sauce or on the run tour with my mask off i'm feeling myself i'm feeling myself i'm feeling my feeling myself i'm feeling myself i'm feeling my feeling my feeling myself i'm feeling myself i'm feeling my feeling myself i'm feeling myself i'm feeling my change the game when that digital drops know where you was when that digital popped i stopped the world Male or female, it make no difference. I stop the world. World stop. Carry on. Kitty on fleek, pretty on fleek. Pretty, pretty gang always keep them niggas on geek. Biting, biting through Texas. Feed him for his breakfast. Every time I whip it, I be talking so reckless. He said, "Damn, Nikki is tight." I, I said, "Yeah, nigga, you right." He said, "Damn, babe, you so little, but you be really taking that pipe." I said, "Yes, daddy, I do." Give me brain like NYU. I said, "Teach me, nigga, teach me." All this learning here is by you. I'm whipping that work. Keep digging that work. I got it. Lines or flow, I have both in an empire. Also, keep getting gifts from Santa Claus at the North Pole. Today I'm icy, but I'm praying for some more snow. Let that hoe hoe, let 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 that hoe know. He in love with that cook. Why, 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 why these bitches don't ever be learning? You bitches will never get what I be earning. I'm still getting plaques from my records that's urban. Ain't gotta rely on top 40. I am a rap legend. Just go ask the kings of rap. Who is the queen and things of that nature? Look at my finger. That is a glacier. Hits like a laser. Dripping on that work. Trip, tripping off that perk, flip, flip, flipping up my skirt, and I be whipping all that work, taking trips with all them keys. Car keys got bees, stinging with the queen bee, and we be whipping all of that tea. 'Cause we dope girls, we flawless. We the poster girls for hours. We run around with them ballers. Only real niggas in my cowless. I'm, 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 I'm the big Kahuna. Go let them whores know. Just on this song alone, bitches on her fourth flow. <laughs> You like it, don't you? Snitches. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Young money. 
Oh, the wonderful Nicki Minaj on your radio. You're listening to Out of the Box. My name's Ash Berdebez. My guest today is Arnon Crawford, who bought on that song for reasons that need to be known. Many reasons. Many <laughs> reasons. Apart from the fact that Nicki Minaj is amazing, as is Beyonce, uh, it's, it's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I keep a running tally in my head. And are there other are there ones? Oh, that... there are. There are. There's, like there's Cindy Lauper's She Bop. There's the Divinals I Touch Myself, of course. There's mm-hmm. uh, Tweet's Oops Oh My, which was a great Timberland produced track in the early 2000s. Uh, yes. And I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting, but you know, yeah, it's 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 a it's a good genre, and there needs <laughs> I like to, to think be. You have this written down somewhere. <laughs> I, 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 as I say, I keep a running tally in my head uh, of of songs about this subject, and there needs to be more. So, ladies, if you're listening out there and you're searching around for a song topic, right. consider <laughs> <laughs> write a song about wanking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. So what what do you like about Nicki Minaj? Because I feel like every time I, you know, want to play a Nicki Minaj song, there's going to be someone in the room that's just like, oh, Nicki, blah. Yeah. And I don't understand why people hate her so much. Why? I, I, I love her. I love her confidence. You know, I, I love the fact that she's so assertive and she's so out there and she won't apologize for it. Mm. She really forces people to take her as she is and I love the fact that she's determined to be the best she's determined to be the best rapper top of the game she calls herself the queen of rap in that track you know I love that I love that confidence that the reasons I, I find Nicki Minaj so interesting and so exciting are the same reasons that I found Courtney Love exciting back in the 90s because Courtney did exactly the same thing she said I'm going to be top of the pile I'm going to be the biggest rock star in the world and you know stuff you all for getting in my way and Nikki does the same thing and I you know that confidence in women I think people have a really hard time dealing with and people want to kind of rip Nikki Minaj down for the same reasons that they wanted to rip Courtney down I think that people just find that really challenging to deal with the idea that a woman wants to be at the top and that she's ha- she has that confidence and she's not going to apologize for it but but yeah. I love it it's like it's like as a woman making music you have to actually come out of the closet as having an ego yeah and say at some point yeah yeah I do deal with it so that's something that they've both got in common absolutely yeah. that's right yeah yeah and we're kind of we're quite prepared to celebrate that egotism in male artists but I think with female artists people find it a real a real turn off because it goes against everything that, that, that women are supposed to be in terms of kind of giving the credit to other people and being demure and uh, Nikki is not demure and neither was Courtney. Yeah. So you've now finally published a book. I have. Live through this. Live so through this. it's it's from the series 33 and a third, which yes. is the speed of the record. Exactly. And uh, it's about the album. Yes. By whole, live through this. So you mentioned that you as a fan of Courtney Love, you're always actually just defending her. Yes. Why? Like, how do you defend Courtney Love? What kind of things do you need to defend her her against? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> too uh, many things. <laughs> too many things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, I think I think Courtney needs defending against twenty years and more of haters who who, as we've talked about, have have always had difficulty dealing with the idea that. Mm she wanted to be the best and that she had that kind of ambition. Um, and also that she was a very vocal feminist, which people always had problems with as well. Um, and, you know, I don't defend everything that she's done. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to accept the fact that, you know, she's 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 done a lot of bad stuff. And I don't think really that Hole put out a good record after Live Through This. 
At the same time, I think that what they achieved with this record in particular is worth remembering and worth celebrating because it's an incredible album and it was a really important album to a lot of people, including myself, who really found a way as young teenagers into all kinds of um, issues to do with feminist theory and feminist activism thanks to this record. Yeah. And so you were about 12 when you first I heard was 12 it. when this album came yeah. out. Yeah. What, what was your first reaction to it? Like, you know, first seeing Courtney Love? Uh, I think I think the thing with Courtney is that she always kind of grabbed your attention if you saw her in the pages of a magazine or something, because visually, again, like Nicki Minaj, she had such a kind of look. She was so out there with her bleach blonde hair and her makeup and her little baby doll dresses and stuff like that. So she always drew your eye. And I just remember thinking, wow, who is this person? And then, of course, she was just a kind of quote machine. Every interview she ever gave was hilarious and kind of scandal ridden and full of gossip and all the rest of it. So she was fantastic copy, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and and I mean, I, I loved this album right from the start and I still love it now. It's one of those albums lived through this that's always really stuck with me. Yeah. You know, I love difficult women in popular music and Courtney is one of the most difficult of all. <laughs> I think there, there was a particular sentence in the book that just stuck with me as, as kind of explaining that that idea. We still insist on valuing female artists based on this paradox. Your work is fascinating because it is unmediated and wild. Your work is repellent for the same reasons. Mm, mm. So the, the whole the, the thing that's good about Courtney Love is also the thing that people tear her down for. It's true. That's right. That's right. Courtney, you know, her songwriting is very turbulent. It's very raw. And people celebrated that. And at the same time, they were, I think, quite repulsed by it and disturbed by it. So, yeah. so yeah, that's kind of the paradox of an artist like her, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like how she writes about motherhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which Live Through This is, is to a large degree a record about motherhood, which is still a really rare subject for rock music. Um yeah, and the way she wrote about that is really compelling and amazing and at the same time really, I think, unsettled people as well. Yeah, one of your favourite lines on the album is about... Uh, oh, I don't dishes? do the dishes, I throw them in the crib. Yeah, from a track <laughs> called Plump, which I, I think is fantastic. You know, she Courtney had that wit and sarcasm about her, which, which always just makes me laugh, you know. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. Um, so we are getting towards the end of the show... Now, do we take an Ina Simone track or do we take a Triffids track? Oh, God. We, we might have time for both. Maybe. I hope so. I mean, Nina Simone, again, one of one of the great difficult women of popular music yeah. uh, and an artist who's really important to me. Uh, and, and I think we should play this track. It's called Pirate Jenny. Um, and it's a track that was written um, by the playwright Bertolt Brecht and his musical collaborator Kurt Weill, who were two really important um, theatre artists of the 20th century. And Nina Simone does an amazing job with, um, with this track, Pirate Jenny. On FBI 94.5. Need some moan on your radio. You people can watch while I'm scrubbing these floors and I'm scrubbing the floors while you're gawking. Maybe once you tip me and it makes you feel swell in this crummy southern town in this crummy old hotel, but you'll never guess to who you're talking. No, you could never guess to who you're talking. Then one night there's a scream in the night And you wonder who could that have been And you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing And you say, what she got to grin? 
so intense yes yeah she's Nina, Nina Simone, Simone. Mm. if there's one artist if I had a time machine and I could go back through the 20th century and see one artist play live it would be Nina Simone hands down absolutely stuff the Beatles I don't want to see the Beatles yeah. I, I, I want to they see they don't strike Nina Simone. fear into your heart no. the way that Nina Simone does no like, I feel like when I hear her singing sometimes I'm just like I've you know the feeling that you've really just pissed off mum and you're seven years old and you don't know how to argue maybe yeah but <laughs> just she's... be sitting there like oh She's so compelling. Yeah. She's an artist who makes you pay attention to her, Definitely. and I think that's incredible. All right. So you probably discovered that song on, on Rage, you said? Not that song in particular, but, I mean, you know, I think I probably discovered Nina Simone through Rage as a teenager because she was one of those artists who people would often pick when they guest-programmed Rage, and I watched a lot of Rage as a teenager. I would stay up all night and watch it and videotape it, as you did back <laughs> in the day. Oh, so, dear. yeah, there was Nina. I remember it all too well. Yeah. All right, so you've been listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5, and if you do want to listen back to this show with Arnold Crawford, you can go onto the website and check out On Demand and uh, go to Out of the Box, and it'll all be there. Mm -hmm. Or you can always podcast the show. You can podcast it through iTunes, or if you've got a podcast app, just type in Out of the Box. It'll probably rock up in your phone every time a show is podcasted. And... uh, so Armin Crawford has been mm. my guest. She's a, a music writer for The Monthly and has now got the book out for uh, Live, Through this, Live Through This, which is going to be tomorrow. Yes, launched. there's a launch tomorrow, yes, tomorrow. at Glee Books. If you're mm-hmm. interested, do come along. It's, it's at 6pm at Glee Books. Mm-hmm. Should be good, I hope. 
Free beer? Yes, free, <laughs> free wine. I'm not sure about beer, but there's definitely free oh, alcohol yes. involved, which Very is good. always is always a draw card. Yeah. yeah. So actually one, one part of the, the whole book that I noticed was that someone had said to you at some point, women can't write about music because they can only write about themselves. And you're a music writer. Mm. I mean, how, how did you react to that? Oh, you know, just kind of outraged laughter, I guess. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it is a, a problem that dogs female artists in any form is this idea that you're being self-indulgent somehow or that you're not as um uh, your voice is not as valid but I think you just gotta keep on doing doing what you do really in the face of haters take some take some inspiration from Courtney <laughs> <laughs> fantastic on FBI 94.5 now we've got one last track yes. for the show the Triffids the Lonely Triffids. Stress yes one of my favourite Australian bands um, this track is from 1986 from their incredible album Born Sandy Devotional and this track is called Lonely Stretch <laughs> I took a wrong turn off of an unknown track I did Seven miles I couldn't find my way back Hit a lonely stretch Must be losing my touch I was out of my death And so far Well up in ocean No distinguishing features Any direction Saving my air 